Welcome to The Bear and the Ball. I'm your host, Nick Webster. Delighted today to welcome Laura Youngson to the show. Laura is a social impact entrepreneur, founded a couple of companies, Ida Sports and Brunswick Aces. She's also a senior policy advisor for the UK Department of Business, Innovation and Skills. And the brains behind Equal Playing Field. Laura, welcome to The Bear and the Ball. Thank you so much for having me. I know we've been having some like technical difficulties, so um, promise me you're not going to move an inch, right? You're just going to stay exactly where you are, so there's no more snafus. It is hard to stay still, but I will. I'll attempt it. Yeah, the excitement of this show. Okay, let's get straight into it. Equal playing field, inspiring and empowering the next generation. Tell me all about it. Well, this came about because I, I saw there were more stories about horses than women in the sports pages. And uh, I wanted to do something to show that women could, could, you know, play sport, do things, inspire others. And, and the expression of that something was I, I got together with a, a friend and we're like, yeah, hey, let's go and climb Kilimanjaro, play 90 minutes of football at the top and set a world record. And so we persuaded um, sort of 40 other women to come with us, including referees, goalkeepers, medics, things like that. And then everyone came and we played played a world record setting game at the top of Kilimanjaro. Um, and from there, we really um, grew this movement called Equal Playing Field to advocate for more gender equity in sport. Well, climbing Kilimanjaro, that's, a, that's actually on one of my bucket list things to do. How was the climb? I mean, did, uh, did you get a little bit of altitude sickness? Was there snow at the top? Tell us all about it. Yeah, it was incredible. Um, we actually spent longer climbing because we needed to have as many people as possible reach the top. So we spent longer acclimatizing and we did a practice game at 4,500 meters, which was already we'd have broken the record if we'd played properly at that level. But we wanted to go for the proper one right at the top. So um, probably the worst moment was on the, the day you climb to the summit, you get woken at about midnight and you get into all your gear and it's cold and it's dark and you have to start climbing and you, you're literally just putting one foot in front of the other, um, sort of trying to make your way up and, Everyone else was sort of um, encouraging each other on, which was incredible. But every time people came past me, they were, they were saying, Oi, why have you brought me on this thing? What am I doing here? So it was quite a funny experience, really. And then, then you get to the top and, the, and just over the, the kind of the ridge to get you into the crater near the top and the sun's breaking through. And by that point, it was we just knew we'd do the record because once you made it through this super hard climb... Um, it's then just a joy to play football so everyone was ready um and it was incredible i can only imagine the quality of play it might have been a bit suspect it, it was definitely a bit slow but the the thing was there were some great chances on goal we just had exceptional keepers uh like we had the ex-swedish keeper in goal and she made some quality saves so um yeah can't fault the keepers but i i do think it was a bit slow in the in the midfield <laughs> So, out of curiosity, was was the ball moving a little bit quicker because the air is so thin up there? Not necessarily noticeable, but it definitely when you're running, it felt like your brain was running, and you're like, "Yeah, I'm going really fast." Then your body, it was like running through jelly or something. And you, you, I look back at the footage, and it's like you're in slow mo as you're just going, "Oh, let me take one step and another." And um, at one point, the doctor had to run onto the pitch. 
and he uh, he had to pause halfway and take a breather because it was it was just such a tough thing to do. Well, I'm looking at the picture of you guys at the top of Mount Kilimanjaro, and uh, I wouldn't be playing football there. So, talk to us about what what does this crater look like? So, it's it, if you imagine a volcano, um, which is mm-hmm. what Kilimanjaro was, and um, it, it, you have the the sort of sides, and imagine your classic volcano where you 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 look down from your your sides of the crater into a into a middle crater in the bottom. Uh, and it's like that, except it's at sort of 5,800 metres. Um, and so when you actually get to the summit of Kilimanjaro, that's you walk past um, a glacier and and so you go past sort of these huge ice fields to get to the, the, the summit, which is on the edge of the crater. So it was really lovely, actually, once we completed the game and we walked up to the summit, we got a chance to look back down into where we played and sort of see, OK, this is this is what we've made. So this is in the Guinness World Book of Records. You played the highest elevated game of football ever. That's it. That's it. That's the record. It's incredible. Well, congratulations on that one. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna read back a quote of yours, and uh, I want to uh, mine mine it and, and and see what it's all about. I hope that in 30 years' time, it won't even be a conversation. It will simply be, you can be a girl and you can play sport and have the same respect as the guys, and you can have a living wage to play the sport you want to play. Talk to me about that. Ah, it was, you look back, and we only climbed Kilimanjaro, what, six or seven years ago, and already the progress since then has been amazing. You think, I mean, when when I gave that quote, it was really so frustrated that you see the women the streaming rights weren't matching necessarily the amount of pay that women were getting the the tabloids weren't particularly writing about women's sport in the terms they are now and you look how fast forward these few years and you see how far it's come and women's sport and especially football soccer has been able to sort of stand on its own two feet and generate interest because we always knew it was there it was just now that everyone realizes it's there so in some ways maybe it's not gonna be 30 years I I think if you think sort of 10 15 we actually might get to that point where some a girl like a nine-year-old girl growing up now has an opportunity to see herself um you know on the big screen and 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 that future pathway to play sport and enjoy sport and the fans have the opportunity to enjoy sport in the way and enjoy women's sport without it being um, a sort of sideshow or an afterthought. What are the challenges that still exist for women in sport, even though we've, you know, like you say, got incredible distances over the last five, ten years? I think there's still um, very much a discussion around, I guess, the sustainability of the leagues and how much investment there is in, because a lot of that then trickles through to everything that, impacts the, the the clubs so for example the more money you have around the game more streaming rights more fans then you you end up with better physios or, or medical staff around the teams you're able to pay the players more so that they I mean the top leagues at the moment now have gone professional but anything below that is sort of semi-pro or amateur and so it's hard to then get a pipeline of talent coming through so the more investment there is in the game the more it becomes this sustainable um, opportunity for 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 women and girls to play, but then also for jobs 
created around the whole ecosystem. So I think there's still a bit of work to be done to attract sponsors. And it, and it it's frustrating because there's so many statistics like 70% of purchasing power is done through women. And so you're more likely to convert um, someone if you're a sponsor of a women's product, a women's game. Sorry, not a product, the, the sports game. And, and so there's all these stats showing it's more profitable and yet the dollars aren't flowing in. So there's definitely a disconnect there that I'd love to see change. But in other areas... So, oh, sorry. Go on. Oh, you go, you go. Yeah, I was just going to say in other areas, and, and this is the part I love, it, it, it's everything else that's been overlooked. So research, um, medical stuff. So we with Ida, women's football boots, we look at... Um, the differences in physiology between women and men and I think that side of the game is only just starting to to be seen so there's all the stuff you see on the on the kind of television and the forward kind of front-facing stuff but there's all this back of house um there's still a lot of challenges in that sense to get research done for women to advocate for women so you 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 mentioned the, the financial component and getting sponsors, marketers, organizations to start, you know, putting in the, the, the big amounts of money uh, required to do all the things that you want to do, uh, especially at, you know, the, the lower levels where I think that there, there is a big gap. What's, what's, the, what's the marketing pitch to, to get these companies to start, you know, re- really digging in? I think what you're seeing, and I mean, obviously, I don't work for any of the clubs or, or, or the leagues, but you're seeing there's a very diverse fan base. So 50% of people that watch um, women's sport are men. And so it's it, there's a lot of stereotypes that I think the statistics are not, don't bear out. So when you actually look at the statistics, you're like, oh, OK, this is really interesting. It's a diverse crowd. There's a lot of families there. So if you've got a brand that's... Um, got those family values then you're speaking to that audience but then also you see the um, for example the social media hits that individual players generate and the Alex Morgans the um, like Mary Earps the goalkeeper just doing such fantastic things on and off the pitch to inspire the next generation and that's coming through in in how they're talked about and the reach that they're getting and and as a brand who wouldn't want to be associated with that so I think I think in some ways it's an easy sell it's just that perhaps a lot of brands haven't considered women's sport as a an option before now. Well, you make it sound very easy by saying easy sell. Describe that in, in further detail, because I think from from my perspective, uh, being in the in the in the youth market here in, in Southern California, I often think to myself, well, this is a no brainer. You know, health companies, uh, beverage companies, they should all be banging down my door and saying, you have this, you know, amazing pipeline to, to, to kids. Uh, but it doesn't happen like that. No, it doesn't always happen. And I think the, the one thing I would say is there's still a lot of work to be done on the club side and the league side um, to professionalise. And so slightly tangentially, but you look, if you look at the fan experience, um, sometimes like women's games especially in the UK you still have to go to sort of a secondary pitch and maybe there's no um food or beverages right and so what's the experience that you're giving to fans so why would they bother coming and and that kind of thing so I think there's there's definitely um an opportunity to improve prove that and you've seen clubs like San Diego Wave and 
Angel City really invest in the fan experience and it's you're then getting sellout crowds and they've got these wonderful sponsorship partnerships. So I think part of the responsibility is on the club or the league or the youth team to actually um, highlight what their strengths are and, and why someone should come and experience the their their product or you know speak to their audiences because I think that in itself it, there's so many unique and like you're saying wonderful benefits of talking to a youth market about healthcare for example is incredible but being being able to articulate that in a way that brands understand so often there hasn't necessarily been that expertise on the women's side in order to articulate that for the brands to really be like oh yeah we could just show up and activate like this well, you talk about the success of the wave and uh, Angel City, and, and it is quite remarkable what they've managed to do. Why is it so hard then to replicate it throughout the throughout the rest of the country with within you know the uh, WPSL? Well, I think what you're seeing, I don't know. Arguably, it's happening. <laughs> I think we're seeing it uh, uh, further and further. I know. I mean, obviously, Portland Thorns have always been amazing. Um, I know a lot of the other clubs are really trying and the fact that there's now the valuations that you've had in the expansion teams really sort of sets the tone for where I think, well, where the market thinks the business is going. Um, I I think if you're in one of these um, additional clubs, you should be looking at the, the leaders of the game and best practice and going, yeah, we want to emulate that and even beat it. But especially in the in the US, the UK as well, you are in competition with other sports, with other experiences. So really understanding why it is that someone would care about your sport and your community and your experience is the key to then um, getting them to show up. And I think the best clubs have built community. Um, it's not just a product that you're turning up to be part of a part of something, part of a movement. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that community aspect is something that we've been missing out on over the last couple of decades. And I think that many companies are realizing that community is the driving force behind creating these great brands. So how does Equal Playing Field, how, how can you get involved in not only the professional game, but also, you know, for, with, a, with an organization like Cow South, uh, you know, a state association, how, how would you go about that? Well, with Equal Playing Field, we, we call ourselves a collective. So we, we actually work together with people from all over the world. And especially uh, world records are obviously the eye-catching areas where we use it to generate kind of media attention. And then that is, we're able to tell stories from the different participants across the, across the globe. Um, but we've also run summits. So we run the Equality Summit around the major events, so the World Cup in France, the Euros in the UK, and then the World Cup in Sydney. And so we were able to um, bring together lots of people in the football industry to talk about all the things that don't necessarily get talked about at other conferences. Um, So that's been a really incredible way to kind of build the network. But we're very member-led, so if someone has an idea, then we tend to figure out how to make it happen. So I'm pretty sure there'll be another world record on the cards um in the not too distant i'm I'm looking forward to that one um let's talk a a little bit about the street child world cup uh you you, uh created this uh i believe in in brazil in 2014 describe it in detail and 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 let me know if i can replicate that here in la 
Yeah, wonderful. Well, I, I can't take credit for, for creating it. It's cre actually created by some incredible humans, um, one of whom, John Rowe, is an amazing force of nature who um, began at the, the Durban South Africa World Cup and, and realised the need to give a voice to street-connected children um, in South Africa and came up with this idea of running a, a World Cup for street-connected kids before the, the actual World Cup. And since then, they've done it at everyone since so I was involved in the one in Rio and it it's an incredible opportunity to shine a spotlight on the issues affecting street connected kids by engaging the authorities ahead of it because often what happens ahead of the world cups is that you'll sort of round up the kids off the street and clear it away to make it all look nice for the world cup but it doesn't actually solve the underlying problems so the street child world cup has been an incredible vehicle for for social change and really addressing some of these perhaps persistent problems um, surrounding kind of homelessness as well. So I know they would love to bring it to LA, especially for the for the soccer, the World Cup that's coming um, in 26. So how how was the tournament? How was it put together? And what kind of uh, what kind of impact did it get? So. Um, I believe we had something like 18 teams from around the world, um, group stage, knockout stages, and then a final at um, Botafogo in, in Rio. Incredible support from the clubs. And um, having the, just the, so aside from the football, it's also about running workshops so that the kids get involved and engage um, with all these different um, aspects. So cultural, um, violence prevention, loads of different speakers and topics and workshops in order to, to have this incredible experience. And then the kids go back and, and become ambassadors. And so they the impact has been amazing. So, for example, the Philippines team got met off the plane by Manny Pacquiao. Um, and it just raises the profile. And the I think the Pakistani team got invited into parliament as a result of going to the, um, going to the, the cup, which shows the impact that you can have if you get generate the media attention that then enables these kids to have a voice and tell their own story to the decision makers who can actually change the laws. Oh, that's absolutely fantastic. And, and yeah, I mean, uh, I think that LA absolutely has to host this and uh, we, will, we will work together to make sure that that happens. Um, when we look at things like grassroots training, uh, and empowering empowerment programs. How do you go about creating those and, and developing the partnerships to uh, get that platform out there? I think, especially with the grassroots, we found that, that people come to us. So as a, as a result of sticking our heads up and going, hey, we're going to go do this world record, and we, this is what we stand for, lots of women especially, but also men who coach girls and women, have reached out to us to ask about how how they could either do it better or how they could they maybe got a boys club and they want to set up a girls club things like that so as a result of that we do a lot of um i guess matchmaking and connecting so hey we know a coach here and they've reached out to us and they really want to help and hey there's a team over here that needs that help and those skills can we connect you together or for example people often reach out to us like I'm the only female ref in my area and so connecting them with a mentor that can help them through that journey and just navigating the spaces that are often kind of traditionally male in order to to increase their opportunities and I think what's been wonderful to see is that 
all the different um, ways that the women and men involved in the, the project have then gone on to be change makers in their own spaces. So we now have, for example, CEOs of football clubs and directors of performance for, for, for football clubs and, and people within the sports business and teachers and, and, and so on. And it's a wonderful network of people that are aiming to push the game forward um, to make, like I said earlier, the... Um, so it's it's changed within 15 years you don't have to you know be thinking about it it's just like hey I'm a girl I want to go play great and there's all the 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 ecosystem set up so that you can go and do that now you 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 neglected to tell me that you've also played the lowest elevation soccer match in history yeah we dead sea yeah we we (laughs) got a bit into the habit of doing world records It's, it's super fun so after the highest altitude we obviously got invited uh, we got invited to Jordan by Prince Ali of Jordan, who's very into football, and he, he said, would you like to play at the Dead Sea? And we said, oh, that would be fun. So we, we actually got to play the lowest altitude game and build a pitch in an area that really hadn't traditionally, it was traditionally conservative. So we got girls playing and, and set up, we're able to set up programs there that have, have lasted to this day, which is incredible. Um, and obviously we had to do the world's biggest record in France. So we played... Four days, three nights, 800 people rolling on and off the game. It was fantastic. So there's there's a movie about this, right? The the equal playing field. What? Would, did, were you were you in this movie? Yeah, it was actually amazing. We got uh, the director. I mean, I still marvel that she and her camera basically walked up the mountain backwards, filming everything, which was amazing. And and they put it together. Um, and this wonderful movie came out that tells the story of what we were doing. Um, and I think it really sums up the adventure. So are we going to make a movie here in L.A.? I mean, we have to really, right? Uh, definitely. We're, we're keen. We'll call on the crew. They're, uh, they're ready. Everyone's chomping at the bit to do another world record. So I'm sure we'll have to think of something. So what does the future look like for Equal Playing Field? Well, hopefully more world records, but uh, in, in all seriousness, we we love um, stepping into spaces that are traditionally overlooked. And I think one of the things we've been able to do is is open the door to to something or an area or a space that hasn't been talked about and step into it and bring a lot of people with us. And then there's now a lot of organisations that are covering these spaces so there's the wonderful women in soccer there's wonderful women in football organizations in in the uk and the us respectively and and they're they're now member organizations and that's great so then our we're looking at okay what's the next area that needs to tackle and in some ways having this wonderful squad of humans around means that you're not afraid to step into it um you go together as a team um and tackle for example sexual abuse in in football um sexism with referees all sorts of areas that perhaps people don't particularly like talking about but they do need to be addressed if we're going to build a a safe space for for women and girls to play i mean do you think football does a good job at tackling sexual abuse uh it could always be better hey and um i think in the last few years the there's been a lot of cases like there was a big case with the nwsl that brought it out into the spotlight but i i do think the there's still a ways to go and 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 i i it needs everyone 
really looking at it to go, hey, this is the world we want to build. And are we there yet? No, well, let's let's keep going and let's get the right processes and, and systems in place in order to improve the reporting. And then so that when someone does report something, they're believed. And I think in that sense, it, it's making progress, like we were talking about earlier, but there's there's still more that can be done. So you you are pretty much worldwide right now um, and, and you have camps. How can how can people uh, go to your camps? How can, how can they find out more about them? So we tend to run them around the big events. So especially when there's um, like World Cup is on and things like that. But if someone has a particular idea or wants to reach out, we're best when we're we're matchmaking, as I said before. So um, reach out to the to the network and we'll um we'll connect you with either a coach or a referee or depending on what people need there's always someone in our network that is really keen to to help bring ideas to life and uh speaking engagements when can people come and see you because obviously as one of the co-founders you uh you speak everywhere right i mean is is, is there anything online where uh my listeners can uh, check you out well if you're um if your team's professionally if you have people that are on LinkedIn. We're often pretty active there. So myself, uh, I do a lot through my company, Ida, where we make women's football boots. And we're often chatting chatting to people and, and talking about what we do. Um, Maggie Murphy, who's the other co-founder, is the CEO at Lewis Football Club. So you'll often hear her um, talking about a lot of these issues. And Erin Blankenship is the other co-founder who works for the World Food Programme as her day job. So she's... Um, an incredible advocate and uh, has very deep knowledge of this space um, of social transformation. So definitely check us out online. So describe describe Ida for us and, and football boots or as they're known here in the United States of America as cleats. Yeah. So actually on Kilimanjaro on the, the world record, I realized I, I always had to wear kids shoes to play and I was an adult female and I was like, this is weird. And spoke to all these Olympians that came to Kilimanjaro with us. And they were all wearing kids and men's boots as well, not women's boots. And I was thinking, there's surely something in this. Realise that men's and women's feet are different. Realise we're putting ourselves at risk of injury if we're not wearing the right cleats. Um, and created Ida, which has grown now. And we've just launched our, our new spring-summer run. And that's in Dick's Sporting Goods, an academy all across the U.S., and it's it's grown and it's catering, putting women first, putting girls first and catering to the needs of the female football players. That's fantastic. So how can how can people get hold of you, Laura? I am pretty active on LinkedIn. So you'll find me pontificating about all sorts of things to do with startups, um, gender equality, uh, fundraising, because that's always a challenge uh, and talking about sponsorship and things like that there and you can also uh check out our ida sports so at ida sports on instagram places like that all the socials um and you can see what we're up to and then equal playing field is also we're, we're kind of slow active uh, but we're there on uh equal playing field on instagram and you'll see us um and we pop up and we do let everyone know when we're going to do a world record um and you never know there might be a space for some of your listeners oh i'd, I'd love to be part of a world record laura it's uh, it's an incredible feeling, and we've had so many people come up to us who who were part of the the records, especially in France, because there were a lot of people, and they're like, "Yes, I've got my medal hanging in my room," 
And I'm like, oh, it's brilliant. It's such an incredible feeling to do something that no one else has done and to get that recognition. Laura Youngson, Ida Sports and Equal Playing Field. Thank you so much for joining the Bear and the Ball. And for more on CalSouth, please visit us at CalSouth.com. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Bear and the Ball. Until then, see you on the field.